Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey, good morning, Every Nation New Jersey. God bless you. PA here, Pastor Adam Burt, and I'm so excited you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning here with us at Every Nation New Jersey. And uh, listen, we are continuing our series we've just called BC, A Journey Through the Old Testament. And we've been uh, recently tracking the life of David, and this is going to be kind of our last installment on the life of David. We're going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 51. And last week, you recall that we said that a, a psalm, it just means song. And, uh, and so uh, what I need us to do today before we get into Psalm 51 is I need us to, to just remember uh, behind the music. Do you remember this show? Like you can see it like occasionally, I think it was on MTV and then it was on some other things. And it just, it tells the story behind the song. And sometimes it can really bring amazing things to light and to life. And can I give you a couple examples of them? Like, uh, like, like we all know the song purple rain right and if you don't shame on you okay uh purple rain of course uh written by prince and um and and here's what's crazy do you know that that the song purple rain uh rolling stones magazine uh uh, the top 500 songs of all time it rates at number 18 like is that amazing or what but but here's what's surprising here's what's behind the music is do you know that prince uh, he didn't write that song for himself He actually wrote it as a country song, and he wanted Stevie Nicks, um, the female vocalist for Fleetwood Mac, to sing the song. And she refused. She felt a little overwhelmed from it and couldn't feel it. And guess what? I'm glad she didn't do it, all right? Because I I love that song, all right? And then, uh, but but, uh, here's another one. You'll remember uh, back in 1992, uh, there was a movie, Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston. uh, It was called The Bodyguard. But uh, the movie was eh. But the hit uh, single by Whitney Houston was amazing. Uh, It's called I Will Always Love You. And and this vocal performance is just insane. It sold over 20 million copies. In fact, uh, it became uh, the best-selling women's single uh, of all time. And so she won a Grammy for it uh, in 1994. And so this here's what's so crazy. This song by Whitney Houston was so amazing, but it wasn't her song. The song was uh, actually written by Dolly Parton, and and the lyric, I will always love you, has nothing to do with a love interest. It has to do with a business partner uh, that she separated from, but she wanted to let the guy know, hey, I still love you, uh, but we can't do business together anymore, all right? And so so pretty, it's it's the story behind the music. Let me do you another one. Uh, Probably one of the most recognizable guitar riffs of all time is, is by this dude Slash of Guns N' Roses. And then the, the moment you hear it, you'll go, oh, that's that song, Sweet Child of Mine, right? Uh, by Guns N' Roses. Uh, but here's what you need to know, get this. Do you know that guitar riff started as a goof? <laughs> that, that Slash and the band were just kind of killing time and he was on his guitar and he was trying to make silly carnival noises uh, on his guitar. The lead singer, Axl Rose, heard the guitar riff And he's like, that's a hit. And he penned the song, Sweet Child of Mine. And so uh, we also know that sometimes the story behind the music is not silly. Sometimes 
it's actually quite sad or even tragic. And so uh, uh, I'm from Detroit, so I got deep Motown roots. And um, uh, just I remember growing up and we had the, the Temptations, this iconic Motown soul singing group. And, and they sang this song, uh, I Wish It Would Rain. And, and it, it uh, shot up the charts, very well-known song. Uh, but here's what you probably didn't know. The song wasn't written by the Temptations. It was actually written by a man by the name of Roger Penzabine, and he penned this song after he found out his wife had been cheating on him. And then in fact, a week after the song was released, uh, he would take his own life. Right? It's the story behind the song. Uh, but they're not always sad. Get this, there's some joyful and some epically high moments, isn't there, in song? So, uh, so me being a daddy of daughters, and, and once again tapping into my Motown roots, uh, I still remember the song by, written by Stevie Wonder, Isn't She Lovely? And, and do, you, do you recall at the beginning uh, of that single, there's, there's a baby crying. You know, in fact, that's Stevie Wonder's, uh, he actually recorded the birth of his daughter Aisha, and that's her uh, crying the moment she was born and entered into the world, right? And so, so kind of cool to get the, the, the story behind the music and I'll end with this one, and this will lead us into Psalm 51. Do you know the uh, the American uh, rock group, the Eagles, uh, that they're the highest grossing American rock group of all times. And so they had smash single after smash signal, uh, single. Uh, but, but my all-time favorite is the song, Take It to the Limit. Uh, it was written by band member Randy Meisner. But get this, he never, he rarely ever led vocals. But on this song, Take It to the Limit, he hits these ungodly high notes, right? In fact, when they would sing it in concert, fans would lose their mind when he'd hit the high notes. The only problem was um, he, he was terrified that he wasn't gonna be able to hit them when he did live performances so often, he would just bail and wouldn't sing the lyric. Um, here's what's so ironic about that. He wrote the song, Take It to the Limit. It was written about, hey man, live your life to the full. Don't let fear or, or, or mistakes stop you uh, from taking it to the limit with your life. And so how ironic is it that, that he would be afraid and bail uh, on the very song that he was writing about, hey, live a fearless life, right? And so that's gonna bring us to Psalm 51 today. And here's the question we're, we're hoping to answer is this. Uh, what happens when the lyrics we're singing aren't lining up with the life we're living? What happens when the lyrics we're singing, they're not in alignment with the actual life we're living? You know, um, David, David was called a man after God's own heart. But we're going to see today that, that David, uh, his, his lyric and his life didn't line up. Uh, so our text will be Psalm 51. And can I give you behind the music of this song found in Psalm 51? Uh, you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. But, but I'll summarize here for us here this morning uh, is this. is uh, it, it begins by letting us know it was the time when kings went out to war. It says, but David stayed back in Jerusalem. Uh, this, is, this is for free. This isn't part of the message. But I just I need to say this, that when men are lazy and irresponsible and not walking in their purpose, man, their life becomes a dumpster fire and the world around them will burn as well. And we're going to see that today uh, in the life of David, because David was supposed to be out 
at war, fighting battles, advancing the kingdom. Uh, well, what was he doing? Uh, well, here's what we're going to find out. He goes to the rooftop uh, of the of the palace, and it's there he notices a woman bathing. He inquires uh, of his servants, who is this woman? And the servant replies, that is Bathsheba. Uh, for the record, the name Bathsheba, uh, it means voluptuous. And I'll just let it lie and leave it there. But the servant would go on and inform David, that's Bathsheba, Eliab's daughter, and Uriah's wife. And so what I need you to notice is the mercy of God. That, that in this moment, David is tempted to sin, but the scripture is clear that God will always give us a way of escape. And the servant, uh, I believe, uh, by the grace of God, lets him know this. Hey, David, that's Bathsheba. That's, that's a man's daughter. And he's also a man's wife. Right. And so, in other words, like think twice. But what does David do? These roadblocks set up by God and his and the Holy Spirit. He plows right through them. He sends for Bathsheba. He lays with her uh, and winds up getting her pregnant. Now we have to turn to the cover up. Right. Because sin is always going to complicate uh, your life. And so he's got a cover up. So he calls for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, brings him back from the battlefront. And there he just assumes he's going to go in and lay with his wife. Problem solved. The only problem is Uriah is more noble than David in this moment. And Uriah says, how can I go sleep with my wife uh, when when all uh, my men that I'm fighting with, that they're at war? And he doesn't go in to see his wife. So David, the next night, invites uh, uh, Uriah into the palace. He gets him a little tipsy and now is assured, hey, in his drunken state, he'll surely go into his wife. But once again, Uriah was more noble than David and refused to go in. Finally, David uh, sends Uriah back to the battlefront and he tells Uriah to put him to the, uh, Joab rather, the general of, of David's army, to put him to the front of the battle lines where there uh, he's killed. <laughs> Problem solved, right? Wrong. Um, because um, nobody, uh, see, God sees it all, knows it all, and nobody's getting away with anything. And so God, he whispers into the ear, of the prophet Nathan, all that David had done. And so now Nathan, the prophet, he has to be be kind of careful how he approaches the king. And so he, he frames this in a story to King David. And he goes to King David and Nathan presents to him this story. He says, King, there is a poor man who, who had next to nothing, but he did have this baby lamb who he dearly loved, almost as if it was his child. And King, there's also, there's another man who's extremely wealthy. He has cattle, herds, sheep, livestock, all of it. Uh, but he says there was a friend that came into town and rather than taking from his livestock and his herds that the rich man took the poor man's baby lamb, slaughtered it, cooked it, and presented it to his guests to feast upon. He says to David, what should we do? And David, filled with rage, uh, says this, you bring that man to me at once and we're going to kill this man. And Nathan stops. He says, you're the man. Ba -ba -bum, right? Here's the drama and int intrigue. And here's what we find out. Now David is outed. He's exposed in his sin and he's covered in the weight of sin, guilt, and shame. And it's in that context uh, that he pens Psalm 51. It's the story uh, behind the music. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. And repentance 
Listen, it's going to be a song you and I sing again and again and again in our Christian life. And so uh, let me read for you uh, verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 51. It says this, um, David says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so let's let's unpack this a little bit uh, and let's just begin with, with the concept of sin. Do you know that the word sin, it's, it's, uh, it's actually, a, it's an archery term. It, it literally means to miss the mark. Uh, in other words, that, that we know that there's a bullseye. There's a way God's called us to live. And, and then when you miss the mark of what God's asking of you, it, it's called sin. And I got news for you. All of us miss the mark of living the life God has called us to, except for one man. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, I, I think we can agree, like, so for example, lying, uh, is a sin. Did you know this, that the, uh, that the, the latest research says this, that, that humanity, that we sin, or we, we lie between one and two times each and every day. And, and I know right now there's somebody thinking, well, I, hey, I don't do that, pastor. I don't do that. And so, uh, but here's what I'd love to submit to you. Uh, you're a liar. <laughs> And, and I'll prove it to you because uh, we just uh, I just recently got another one of my iPhone updates. You know how you get that and you update it. And then they, they, uh, they give you the uh, service terms and conditions. And you scroll through all these documents, right? And then you have to say, did you read the documents? Yes. Wrong. Liar. You never read the documents. And yet you marked, you check it off like you did. And so that proves to you, you lie, right? And so we're all sinners in need of the grace and mercy and the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and I need us to see this. Sin isn't just breaking of a moral code, but it's much deeper. It, it's an essence. It's, it's a part of our nature and our humanity in our fallenness. It, it's, it's the sin of Adam dwells with inside of each and every one of us. See, see, you're not a sinner because you sin. Rather, you sin because you're a sinner, right? And so uh, don't make me repeat that, all right? But uh, uh, so, for example, I would say this. Like, I think we can agree that, that not all sin um, is equal, right? So I think we would say that murder uh, is not on the same plane as lying. However, while they're not on the same plane, get this, they both come from the same source. They come from a, a broken, sinful nature on the inside of us. David, he in our text today, he said it like this, I was born in iniquity. So iniquity, it just simply means to be bent, to be born bent. And like we have a proclivity to, to uh, towards sin and rebellion. Uh, and we're born that way. And like, and if you don't believe that, you don't have any kids, right? So, so mom and dad, listen to me. Uh, as your pastor, I love you. Man, your kids are adorable, beautiful, wicked sinners. And all of you better say amen, right? Because, because get this, 
I mean, your your child's first words, they're not mama or dada. You know what it is? It's no or mine. In fact, uh, in that Stevie Wonder song, Isn't She Lovely? It, it, it gives a recording of his little girl, Aisha, in the bathtub. And you know what she's recorded as saying? He wanted her to get out of the bathtub. And you know what she says? No, 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 right? Why? Because we're born wicked and sinful. Uh, and so, but in David, he has this epiphany. He realizes that, that when I sin, it's not only a sin against humanity, but it's a sin against Almighty God himself. Like David says, against you and you only have I sinned, O God. And, and I read that, I'm like, what are you talking about, David? You sinned against Uriah, against Bathsheba, against Eliab, against Israel. But here's what David realized. Oh my goodness, all those men and, and women and, and Bathsheba, they belong to God. So ultimately, I've sinned uh, against God. And get this, God is holy. Um, that, that's a fancy Bible word that means to be set apart, to be pristine, without sin. And so God is holy. Uh, I'll share this story. Like um, at the at the height of uh, the the pandemic, the uh, COVID pandemic, uh, I remember you know everything was shut down except what the essential services. How Starbucks uh, was an essential service is beyond me. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I can remember my, my wife and I, we went and I was, I was getting my wife and I a Starbucks coffee and I was watching this girl again, the height of the pandemic, man, everyone's like washing up and doing like keeping six feet apart and all that. And this little girl preparing our Starbucks, she grabs two empty cups with her fingers buried in our pristine cups and she takes her nasty fingers and puts them in there and then goes on to pour coffee in them. <laughs> and so uh, in my mind, all I can rationalize, I'm like, please, God, let the scalding hot coffee burn off the COVID uh, um, disease, right? <laughs> and so uh, in, in my head, I'm over, I'm playing too. I, I'm sure her fingers are mostly clean. They're mostly clean. But, but you know what? I, I don't want mostly clean fingers. I want fingers that are holy, <laughs> right? And guess what? God wants people that are holy. He says this in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, be ye holy as I am holy, right? And so God wants a holy people. Um, notice this. Did you notice in the text too how blind David was uh, to his own sin and how acutely he wear, aware he was of the sins of others? He says, bring that man to me at once. We'll kill that man. And remember, David, you're the man, right? The problem was someone who killed the sheep. And yet David seemed to be blind to the fact, bro, you just had a man murdered and, and committed adultery uh, with a man's wife, right? And so let me read to you Romans uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says it this way. He says, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And so did you catch that? What, what uh, Paul is saying is we all have this tendency and this proclivity to judge and pass judgment on other people. All the while, God's like, hey, you do the same thing. And in fact, um, it, like I found this more than anything is like like parenting has just, re just revealed to me how hypocritical and how self-righteous I am. 
because listen, like parents, can we just agree that there's times, you know, we just lose our mind with our kids or, and, and so I, like, I can remember my girls having these moments where I'll, I'll just be like, once they'll do something and I'll be like, I've told you that a million times. When are you going to listen to me? And then I hear the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, dum-dum. How many times have I told you to do X, Y, Z? How many times do I have to tell you before you listen to me, right? Boom. And the Holy Spirit takes it like a sledgehammer to me. And it reveals what? My self-righteousness and my hypocrisy. And so, um, but here's good news. God's going to not leave us alone in our, in our struggle against the sinful nature. That you know that God, he's going to give us this inner warning system on the inside of us to keep us on the road that leads to, to life and human flourishing. So um, I, I was driving my daughter's Subaru. Uh, it's blue, so we call it the Blue Baru. I'm driving my daughter's Blue Baru, and I, I wasn't paying attention as always, and, and I drifted off into the other lane, and it had this thing called lane assist. Have you felt this? And it's like the car just goes, and it just kind of shakes, and it gets your attention so you can stay in the lane, right? And so God has, has that kind of lane assistance for us in the form of two things, conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so conscience, if you, if you break down the etymology of the word, it, it simply means con, with, and science, knowledge. It means that we're, we're born with this inner knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. And then we get also the assistance of the conviction or the arresting of the Holy Spirit. Notice what, what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He's talking about this lane assistance. He says this, for godly grief, uh, that word for grief in the Greek too, it, it's better translated pain. So it says this, godly pain produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly pain produces death. And so this is unbelievably important that, that when we start getting outside of the lane, outside of the moral law of Almighty God, we have the Holy Spirit uh, and, and conscience there to be that lane assist to give us this shot of godly pain or godly sorrow that, that, that hopefully we'll repent and get back into the lane of, of obedience to God and human flourishing. And so that pain is actually a gift from God. And so, so don't run from godly sorrow or godly pain. Let it alert you. Um, there's a, a, a Hall of Fame coach in the NFL. His name is Tony Dungy. I had an opportunity to do, he was coaching the Indianapolis Colts, and I got a chance to do the chapel for the Colts and, and meet him. And what a godly, wise man. Uh, but I got a chance to hear the story about Coach Dungy that, uh, that actually uh, one of his children was born with a rare disease that, that he doesn't feel pain. And it sounds like it would be amazing, right? You could be a super baby, but, but he says the reality is uh, it's horrific because the child is constantly harming himself. And he, he uh, uh, retells the story of where um, his wife was baking cookies in the oven in this on this cookie sheet and the, the oven's going at 350 degrees Fahrenheit and he sm the little boy smells the cookies, opens the oven, grabs the scalding hot cookie sheet, and then grabs the, the scalding uh, cookie dough, puts it in his mouth. He's got burns on his hands, on his tongue, and he just doesn't even know it. And get this, godly sorrow, to ignore it, to try and mash it down, godly pain uh, because of sin or getting outside the lane 
of what God is asking, um, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. It's God's gift to you. And if you continue to ignore uh, the warning signs of God, uh, eventually it can lead to something fatal. Uh, it's what the Bible calls a seared conscience or a hard heart. And listen, godly grief and pain, it's designed that we might repent and live a life without regret. Let's go on uh, Psalm 51. Let's read verses 7 through 12. Um, uh, David goes on and says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uh, did you hear what like David's cry, the cry of his heart, the, the lyrics of his song is this, God, don't just forgive me, change me. Like, like, don't just forgive me, God, but change my heart. Um, listen, like we, we, we've said this often is, is we don't want to just do right things, but we want to love righteousness. Those are two distinct ideas. Uh, we've also articulated it this way. Like, so for example, an alcoholic uh, that, that never drinks a, a sip of alcohol, but every day longs to and wants to. Is that individual free? No, of course not, right? We, we want to love what is right. Um, and so David, he, he sings and he cries out, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. In other words, God, help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. Uh, so uh, you realize this too, that, that you become um, like the people you surround yourself with. Uh, we've heard it said, hey, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Like, like for, we, and it's, this is a God designed thing. In fact, I, I remember I, I moved to Canada uh, for three years to go play, play hockey and try and make it professional. And I remember I wasn't in Canada, but for three days. And I'm saying, hey, I'm growing my hair out to have a mullet. Man, I, I'm doing just eating like they're gross. They put vinegar on their French fries and I'm kind of liking that garbage. And right, what happened? It was I was becoming like what I was surrounding myself with. And even science, uh, it says, hey, man, we, there's, we've been designed like this. We have this thing called uh, mirroring neurons that we're designed to kind of mirror, imitate uh, what we see around us. Um, and so here's what's fascinating to me. So, so the goal of the Christian life is not just to kind of do good and maybe not swear too much or whatever. The goal of the Christian life is union with Jesus. That, that's why when Jesus uses languages, uh, language uh, around his people, he, he calls it a marriage between, between Christ and his bride, the church or the people of God. Because, because when we receive Jesus, Jesus, like a marriage, he binds himself to, to us. And here's what's so great, that if we're going to mirror uh, who we see, if, if Jesus is bound to us and, and just front and center in our life, what happens? We begin to get transformed, right, on the inside. But what happens is sin. It begins to separate. Uh, and I'll just stick with the marriage analogy. Hey, uh, husbands, uh, you sin against your wife. I'm guessing there's not going to be a lot of union uh, in the relationship. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I still to this day remember, as does my wife, uh, 
my, my, my wife, Susan, she, she went to a new hairstylist and this woman chopped off all my wife's beautiful long hair. And, and my wife would just beside herself. She's trying to reason that it's going to be okay. So naturally she comes to her husband. She's looking for some comfort and support. And I see my wife with now like extremely short hair. I'm like, baby, you look like that newscast girl, Jane Pauley or, or Justin Bieber or something, man. And I was like, and um, yes, if you can imagine, uh, I was young and dumb, so don't judge me. Uh, but I, I'm still paying for that foolish comment. Um, and you know what I'd have to do? I'd have to repent. Uh, and so are you. And so am I in our, in our marriage, in our union with Christ, that as we repent, now, now fellowship and union with Jesus can be restored. And now we can be transformed uh, by union with Jesus Christ. And so this idea of repentance, it's going to be a song that we sing again and again and again in our Christian life. The, the word for repentance uh, in the Greek, it's the word metanoia. It means to, to change your mind or change your heart and therefore change your actions. It's this idea if we turn from sin and we turn to God. And so there, there's basically three parts to biblical repentance. And the first one is this, that, that we confess our sins to God. We confess our sins to God. And, and I want to just say this. I think David does a terrible job of confessing his sin to God in this psalm. Because he, he kind of pretties up his sin, if you pay attention to it. Like he, he, he kind of like blows it down a little bit because he's going to words like, words like this, my, my transgression and my iniquity. I'm like, bro, you, you, you slept with another man's wife. You had that man murdered and then you lied to the world, right? And so I, here's what I think is important, that when we confess our sins to God, we need to be brutally honest. And it's not because God doesn't know. It's because we need to see how wretched and how awful our sin is. The reason why we need to see how horrific it is, so we'll hate it. So we'll hate sin. Uh, my my sister-in-law, Nancy, hey, Nancy, I hope you're watching, <laughs> is, uh, is, uh, she is, uh, she's like uh, smoked uh, for a lot of her life. Like she, she likes her cigarettes or whatever. And I remember the first time uh, she's uh, in Canada, and I remember the first time I saw the pack of cigarettes that, and I don't know if they do this in the United States or not, but in Canada, they put this graphic, horrific picture of what cigarettes do, like to your teeth, to your gums, to your lungs. And it's just this grotesque picture of why the hope would be is you would see that and then you'd be like, oh, don't want any of that. Um, but, but here's usually the problem. We love it. And that, that's going to bring us to our next uh, movement in this idea of repentance. And so you confess your sin to God. But then number two, the next move is this. You renounce your sin and you run to God. You renounce your sin and you run to God. It, it's, it's turning from your sin and getting after God. And so um, it, it's funny. So, so if we just turn our back on our sin, but we don't get after Jesus, here's what I guarantee you is going to happen. You'll turn your back to your sin, but that sin will be calling you and wooing you. And eventually you're going to get tired and weak and you'll turn back to your sin. But if you turn towards Jesus and start pursuing Jesus, here's also what I promise you will happen. You will fall more and more and more in love with Jesus. And that thing you used to love will be further, further back 
in your rearview mirror and it'll lose its hold on you, right? And then, and then here's the last component is this. You need to receive the, the, just the, the forgiveness of Jesus and rejoice. The scripture's clear that, that he that's been forgiven much loves much. And it's the beauty and the power of repentance. Uh, in fact, I just think such a powerful image of this idea of, of just the freedom uh, of forgiveness is in the movie, The Mission. I'm sure you probably haven't seen it. It's an old one. It was back in 1986, and there was a bunch of young stars in it, guys like Liam Neeson, Robert De Niro, right? Uh, Jeremy Irons, and so, but, but, but in the story, Robert De Niro's character, he plays a, a wicked man. This is back in the 1700s, and, and he was a, actually a slave trader. And he would kidnap and capture um, in, in the jungles of Paraguay, uh, this indigenous people. And then he would take them and sell them off into slavery. Uh, and then there was another scene where uh, in, a, in a jealous rage, he killed his very own brother. And so now De Niro, feeling the guilt and the weight of his shame, he decides he's going to try and pay for his own sin and do penance. And he ties this enormous uh, rope on him and attached to it is his burden. And he jams it with, with uh, uh, armor and all kinds of heavy things. And his lot in life is to drag this big thing around for him. It's showing he's dragging around his guilt, sin, and shame. But there's this one epic scene where, where De Niro, after just climbing this arduous mountain with this huge burden on his back, he gets to the top and who's there? The indigenous people of Paraguay, the people that he had been enslaving. And immediately, uh, one of the warriors grabs a knife and puts it to De Niro's throat like this. And you think he's going to slit his throat, but he doesn't slit his throat. He actually slits the rope, his burden, grabs the burden, and throws it off the side of the cliff. And he forgives De Niro. His weight had been lifted. And De Niro, in unbelief, and just pure joy, he just breaks down and starts sobbing at such a great feat. And here's what I want to tell you. Experiencing true forgiveness is transformative in someone's life. And so here's uh, my, my closing thoughts on Psalm 51. Get this. David and, and Bathsheba, God would forgive David, but David and Bathsheba, um, they, they would lose uh, their illegitimate son. See, um, just because we're forgiven doesn't mean the consequences of our sinful actions don't play out. But God in his mercy, um, that Bathsheba and David would come together again, and they would actually have another son. And this son they would name Solomon. Solomon means peace. That David realizes, man, through forgiveness, I've received peace with God again. And, and guess what? King Solomon would, would in, uh, usher in a, a, a time of unprecedented peace in Jerusalem. And here's another great note. Uh, David and Bathsheba would also have a third son. And you know what they would name th their third son? They would name him Nathan. See, something tells me that David so appreciated that Nathan had the courage and would obey God in calling David out in his sin. Why? So he could be free from it. And so he named his third son, Nathan. And my question is uh, to you this morning, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have a Nathan in your life? People that aren't afraid to call you out on your sin. 
Okay, and, uh, and and here's kind of going back, kind of to the the lead question of our of the morning, and it was this: What happens when the lyrics you're singing don't line up with the life you're living? What do we do? We repent again and again and again. And here's the great news: that it says this in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It says that David uh, fulfilled the purposes of God. And fell asleep. See, despite the fact that, that David's life didn't always line up with his lyrics, it's through the gift of repentance that, that we could say boldly that David fulfilled the purposes of God. And now, uh, just to kind of put a bow on our, our morning here this morning, uh, can I bring you back to behind the music? Do you remember our, our rock group Eagles and the song Take It to the Limit? Like, what was Randy Meisner going to do? Was he going to forever live in fear of trying to hit this note uh, when he does a live performance? No, because get this, in 1976, Eagles played before a sold-out crowd at the uh, L.A. Forum. And, and as they're there and Meisner is singing, take it to the limit, it came time to hit that note, that big note. And he stepped out, and here's what I need to tell you. He crushed it. He hit that note. And I got news for you. Man, God's got a calling and a purpose for your life. And you are going to hit the note. And you too are going to fulfill the purposes of God for your life. And then go see the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, we thank you. God, I thank you this morning for the cross of Christ. Lord, I want to thank you for the gift of repentance. And Lord, I pray this morning for, uh, Lord, a, a confidence, Lord, in your goodness, your mercy. Lord, I pray for those that are af afraid to just be real and raw with you, Lord, about their sin and the junk in their heart. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them. God, you already know. And Lord, I pray that there would be a confidence and a peace to not run from you, but to run to you. Lord, I thank you this morning for the gift of your one and only son and for his blood that has covered all our sin, past, present and future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, every nation. Well, God bless you. God loves you. And I think you're pretty great too. And listen, before we go this morning, I want to remind you that you can be faithful in your tithing and giving. Um, if this uh, church or, and our messages have been a blessing to you, we just want to encourage you and ask that you would consider partnering with us and uh, sowing into this ministry that, that we can get the word of God out. And, uh, and, and if this every nation is your church, we believe in the tithe. A tithe simply means a tenth of everything that comes into our life. We give back to God as a form of worship. And there, there's three platforms you can give digitally. You can, you can go to our uh, website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text. If you just text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977, uh, it's a very convenient way to give. My family and I give that way. Or you can mail in uh, your check or your money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive, right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God bless you as you're being a blessing. God bless you, every nation. Uh, I think you're, you're amazing. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.